Thank you guys. Good seeing everyone this morning as you're being seated. Let's take our Bibles and open them back to the book of Romans. Uh, we pick up in uh, chapter four, which is the last uh, section of this uh, first major uh, section of the Roman letter, the church at Rome to the church at Rome, chapters one through four. And uh, we've seen that this is somewhat of a great movement, a symphony, a orchestration, if you will, chapters one through four, and then chapters five through eight, then nine through 11, and then finally 12 through 16 which serve as uh, major sections in that book, but each one lays a foundation and builds upon uh, the others. So uh, hopefully we are benefiting from going through this verse by verse, and uh, we are in the last section of this first section. This final section began in uh, chapter 3 and verse 21 and runs through the end of uh, chapter 4, and uh, is really, especially those verses 21 through 26 in chapter 3, that is the heartbeat of Paul's gospel, uh, this whole under underlying principle of the just shall live by faith. And, uh, and Paul has really kind of uh, shaken uh, long-held belief that the Jews he held privileged position because of the possession of the law, uh, because of, of the mark of circumcision. But Paul has made it very clear that when it comes to God's judgment, that the playing field is level. Uh, that uh, there is no favorite, that God is impartial, uh, that all will be judged equally. Uh, but then we've seen the benefit of having this justification by faith of how that future judgment we can find in the present tense, our standing with God, our right standing with God by virtue of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So my prayer is, is that it will be an eye-opening study of who we are and uh, this great salvation of which we are a part as a people of God. And as always, we, we, we do what we do on Sunday morning. We pray and we worship, uh, we preach, we proclaim with the anticipation that God's Spirit is moving and that God is still calling individuals to being uh, followers of Christ and becoming a part of a church family and, uh, and the emphasis upon that of being a part of a church family and all that that, that entails, the responsibilities and obligations that go with that, which is really in keeping with uh, the message this morning as we consider chapter four and our relationship to Abraham. If I did this by a show of hands, I bet there are a great many of you that have probably signed up for that three-month free trial of Ancestry.com. There seems to be a great deal of interest in genealogy. In fact, I didn't know till this week that that is the second leading hobby in this country next to gardening. Gardening is the Number one hobby, I would have never guessed that. Uh, but the number one hobby in this, in this country. And so genealogical research is a $5 billion a year industry. Anticipated to be, anticipate, the anticipation is, is that by 2026, it will be an $8 billion a year industry. And so there are a great many people that are seemingly interested in their, in their roots, in their background. When I, when I started reading some of that, that material, I, I thought, uh, first of all, about this chapter four that we are looking at today. And, and what I think oftentimes is our failure to appreciate where we've come from. Uh, our genealogy as a people of faith, the DNA of our faith, if you will. And that if we truly appreciated from whence we came and, and, and even those people that maybe we would have never anticipated ourselves being associated with, that we come to better understand what it is to be a part of a family of faith. 
So a part of my prayer and my hope this morning as we consider Romans chapter four is that maybe we will come away from this because you have heard me say so often about the, the metaphor of family is the leading metaphor of what it is in scripture to be the people of God, that we are a part of a family, that when you become a part of, of a local community of believers, uh, the prevalent metaphor that we are to embrace is that of, of a family that I embrace with that family, all the responsibilities, all the obligations, all the support, all the roles that go with that. That means in my family, I ride the, the highs, the lows, the good and bad, the seasons of life that are inevitable in, in any family. And those who, who get the metaphor of family, who get that, there is a consistency, there is a steadfast, and you, so, you soon learn uh, who are just consumers and who's part of the family. Who is it that gets mad and leaves when somebody says something that hurts their feelings or, or something they don't agree with or something is done in a way that, that's not to their liking, and, and so they, they leave? consumers. But we have to apply it even to our own homes, our own marriage. You know, if, if I got my feelings hurt and I left every time Patty said something I didn't like or I didn't agree with or I was disappointed in, I think that thing would have dissolved a long time ago. But family is a prevailing metaphor. And so hopefully our, our, our desire is, is that as we study chapter four, we will come away from this understanding the magnitude of this great salvation of which we are a part. A narrative that is built around family. This rich narrative of God's salvation history that makes us a member of a covenant family. And so let's look at our background. Let's look at our genealogy. Let's trace it back to its origin. It begins with the patriarch of this family, Abraham. You see, too often I think that we fail to understand that our lineage goes all the way back to Abraham as, as the people of God, that he is the father of, of our faith. Too often, I, I believe, I, I rarely encounter Christians in, in the church today that, that have an appreciation from whence we came as a family of God. That most people have this uh, misguided understanding of, of their Christian experience as, as something that came after the covenant of Abraham that, uh, that, that, you know, God realized that the covenant with Abraham, it just wasn't working. And so God washed his hands of it and said, well, that, that was a waste of time. Let, let's just pick it up with the cross and go forward. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, that is the emphasis of Paul in these, these first four chapters. He's showing how through Christ Jesus and for the world, God has, has been faithful, how in God's righteousness and in God's justice, and, and especially his covenant justice, that through Christ Jesus, he has fulfilled all of these promises that were ever made to Abraham. Let's listen to these First, uh, let's look at the first eight verses here in chapter four. What then shall we say that Abraham, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? 
What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? Well, what, what he has found, as we will see in the unfolding verses, what he has found is God's grace. Everything that transpires here is the result of the grace of God that he has discovered. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. In fact, Paul's made it abundantly clear in the past three chapters, hasn't he, that that none of us have a leg to stand on when it comes to the day of judgment. None of us have, if we're going to point to our works, if we're going to point to things, say, look what I did, look what I did, look what I did in comparison to them, none of us have a leg to stand on, Jew or Gentile alike. For what does the scripture say? Verse 3. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as right. Your translation may use the word reckoned. It's a word that that is used interchangeably. For what what does the scripture say? And Paul is reading from, from his Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And he's quoting Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Not his works, his belief. His faith. Verse 4, now to the one who works, the wages are not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. You see, listen, don't miss the point that's going to be made here. Abraham was the father first of the uncircumcised. Abraham was first the father of the uncircumcised. The, 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 the covenant, the, the circumcision part of the covenant doesn't come until Genesis 17. Abraham was declared righteous, chapter 15, because he believed in God. But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. He was unrighteous. He was, he was uncircumcised. He was a Gentile. He was uncircumcised. Abraham was a, he was a let's call him a moon-worshipping Mesopotamian. That's what he was. And yet he was declared righteousness because of his belief in God. Then verse 6. In fact, Paul does a little something here in citing Psalm, uh, the 32nd Psalm. Uh, it was a Jewish tradition, kind of a, a Jewish hermeneutic, a German tool of interpretation uh, to interpret Scripture with Scripture, p- taking out one particular word and then finding another Scripture where it applied somewhere else. And he says in verse 6, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from the works of the law. Again, credited, reckoned. It's a word, verb form that's used 11 times in this, in this chapter alone. Along with the word justice and righteousness, it's verbal form, it's noun form. You get the impression that, uh, that God is, Paul is trying to make clear of how God is writing the world, making things right. And the interesting thing about these verbal forms of credited and reckoned, God reckoned to him righteousness, God credited to him righteousness, it's bookkeeping language. But the verbs are passive. In other words, God as the bookkeeper has declared by faith and belief for us in Jesus Christ. God the bookkeeper by his grace 
and mercies has credited to, to you righteousness. Verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Paul would say it this way over in Galatians. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3 and verses 6 through 9. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, his belief, not the law. God didn't look at him and say, well, you're keeping the law. The law wasn't yet. The law wouldn't be for another 400, 430 years, says in Galatians. Was it because he was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac if that's, if that's needed? No, he, it was his belief. In that belief, he was declared righteous. Therefore, recognize that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. Not just, not just the Jew, not just the circumcised, but all the nations will be blessed in you. So then are those who are of faith, so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. You see what Paul continually is hammering home for the church? That it, that it is never our works. It is never our works. It is never our doing. It is never our deeds that gain us by virtue of that, that we somehow gain favorable status with God. These passive verbs that, that we are credited righteous, that we are reckoned as righteous, that's just the grace of God. That is the mercies of God. And by virtue of my belief, your faith, my faith, your belief, by virtue of that, Abraham is our father. He is the patriarch of our faith. But notice a second thing, not just the patriarch of this faith. Oh, this is vital because this has to do with our, with our mission. And this is the scope of this family. That when we use this term family and we understand ourselves as being a family of faith, we need to understand the magnitude and the scope of this, of this family. It says in verse 9, Paul writes, is this blessing then on the circumcised or, or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? That was before he was uncircumcised. Remember, that doesn't come until chapter 17. In fact, I wish I'd given you a homework assignment last week to go read Genesis 15 and 17 before we ever came to this sermon because this is the background to everything he's saying here. How then was it credited while he was circumcised or, or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, which he had while uncircumcised so that he might be the father of all who believe 
without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to him. Did you get that? That righteousness might be credited to him. Verse 16, for this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of faith, who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. As it is written, I have made you a father of nations in the presence of God whom he believed, that is God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that do not exist, foreseeing the resurrection of Christ. By our works, by the law, we are dead. But by faith, we are made alive in Christ Jesus. It was a plan that goes back. Listen, this this Abrahamic covenant going back to chapter 12, this this was from the onset God's remedy for sin. He made this covenant with Abraham in the anticipation of of this salvation narrative that would be available to all the nations of the world. People from all walks of life, Jew and Gentile alike, were a part of the salvation history of God. From the outset, this was God's plan. This isn't a plan that has gone askew. This was God's plan all along. Uh, Calling and making a covenant with Abraham to correct the sin of Adam in in chapter 3 so that that what was in Genesis 1 and 2 could be restored, the restoration of the created order. See, that's why it's so important, church, that we have this understanding of salvation, that when we're talking about the narrative of salvation in scripture, this salvation history, as it's called, that this is so much more. We, we are so confining when we wanna make salvation into just missing hell and making it to heaven. This, this preoccupation, this insecurity of I, of I hope my sins are forgiven so that I can go to heaven when I die. Listen, the salvation of God is about the restoration of the created order. When scripture in this chapter alone, some 11 times using the word justification and righteousness, those words can be taken together. It's about God righting the world making right a world that has gone askew, a created order, as we'll see later in Romans. All of creation groans for the day of redemption. And so this salvation that is ours is of a magnitude that we have, ne- that we have never imagined. It is so much bigger than just my wrongdoing and your wrongdoing. And, and, and it's something that is greater than the sum of the total. And it has to be something that is for all. That is our missional intent. That the salvation message that we hold forth is intended for all. For anyone and everyone who would respond in faith and trust in Christ Jesus. This is why we have to be very careful today. We have to be very careful and discerning of any kind of theologies, any even popular theologies 
that want to reduce this great salvation of God for the nations, for all people, and want to reduce it down into something that is exclusive, something that is elitist, uh, something is, uh, that is for only those that, that have the special knowledge that, that we have acquired that, that God just hasn't yet turned the light on for you. Who does that sound like? Sounds like the Jewish people. The people who were intended to be part of the solution were just part of the problem. Because they were wanting to make limited in scope that which, which God wanted to make available to anyone and everyone who would respond in faith and trust. You see, what we have to recognize is that in the unveiling of the purposes of God, the unveiling of God's plan and purposes for redemption and salvation, listen, it gets bigger, not smaller. It was misconstrued back here from, from Abraham and the Jewish people. It was misconstrued as, as being something that was for an elite few, an exclusive people. But as, as the purposes of God were unfolded through the law and the prophets and finally his son, Christ Jesus, we saw that salvation and the offering of salvation was something bigger than was ever imagined. Beware of theologies that offer a salvation that is limited in scope, that is exclusive for some, but not all. The family of God takes in people from all walks of life. See, that, that's, Paul's, that's Paul's desire. Paul's desire, we know, is to go to Spain. But if this is a salvation that is limited in scope for few only, it, it guts the church of its missional purpose and intent. Final thing in closing, I want us to notice the characteristics of this family. There are similarities, there are characteristics, familiar characteristics, noticeable characteristics of those that are a part of the family of God, a part of this covenant family. This rich family of which we are a part, going all the way back to Abraham as, as a people of God. It says in verse 18, in hope, so hope is our starting place. God's people are a people of hope. God's people are a people who are always leaning forward in the future. We are always a people that are going like Abraham into a place of not knowing. And that's faith going into a place of not knowing. You see how counterintuitive that is to our lives? By nature, we want lives that are manageable. We want the familiar, we want the predictable, we want the routine, all things that are the antithesis of faith. But hope, and the interesting phraseology he uses here, for this reason, or rather in verse 18, in hope against hope, Abraham believed. In hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be, Genesis 15, 5. And when we see that, that phraseology here in hope against hope, a natural reading might, might be that, you know, in, in, in the most impossible of circumstances, when everything seems hopeless, when everything seems dark, it just keeps hoping. 
And that, that's not exactly inaccurate. I mean, that, that is certainly a, a part of it. But, but a better translation of this hope against hope in describing the hope that characterized Abraham and should characterize us as a people of God, that hope against hope is better translated for understanding as something like this, piling up hope upon hope. Just piling up hope upon hope. It means that my hope now is greater than any previous hope I might have had. That each step along the way in this, into this journey of, of, no, of not knowing, into this place of not knowing, going into the purposes of God, to keep leaning into the purposes of God without really knowing, is that in that, in that to keep going each step along the way, led Abraham into new vistas of hope. Every step along the way, every life experience, some threatening, some intimidating, some debilitating, Abraham found, as hopefully, as hopefully we discover, that step after step of faithful journeying forward opens new vistas of hope. You keep going because you discover that on the other side of these circumstances, the faithfulness of God is proved out again and again and again. In hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which he, which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, there's another quality. <laughs> Uh, we see consistency that is going to come forth. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of, of Sarah's womb. That's another quality of faith. It, it has its eyes open. It's aware of what, you know, oftentimes Christians are accused of just having this Pollyanna attitude that Christians are, they just stick their head in the sand and deny reality. Well, nothing can be farther from the truth. Abraham says, I'm, Abraham says, I'm keenly aware of my frailties. I mean, my, my body at 100 years old, it, it's as good as dead. But you know what? My faith hasn't grown weaker. My faith as a, as a man whose body is nearly dead, the, the frailty of a 100-year-old body, and God is, God is promising about my descendants are going to be more numerous than the sands of the sea, the stars in the sky. Well, listen, I can tell you right now, in reality, that's not going to happen based upon my virility. <laughs> it's going to happen because of the faithfulness of God. And I have found God faithful every step of the way, so my faith does not grow weak. Verse 20, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief. And you can go back, Abraham's no Pollyanna. I mean, you can go back and read the Genesis account of Abraham's life. Uh, there, there, there's, a lot, there's a lot of bad things that, that Abraham did. But he kept plotting forward in belief. 
into the purposes of God and being fully assured. It's another quality, another characteristics of God's people. They are, they are convinced and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. This isn't about my strength. It's not about my virility. God will perform this task. Therefore, it was also credited, credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who delivered over, he who was delivered over because of our wrongdoings and was raised because of our justification. It is God the agent acting in creation. It is God acting in his salvation purposes reckoning, crediting as a divine bookkeeper, reckoning us as righteous, as a gift of his grace. That's what it is to be a part of the family of God. Not just receiving the graciousness of God, not just taking in all the graciousness of God for your life, but practicing that graciousness with the church family. See, we live in a one-off culture. We live in a culture, you make one mistake, you're out. But if I'm going to receive the graciousness of God, if I'm going to claim the graciousness of God for myself, I have to be willing to dispense it to others. Go back to verse one. What did Abraham find? He found God's grace. And I pray you will find it too. Father, Your word makes clear we are a people that are saved by grace through faith. There is no amount of righteousness or works that we can claim for ourselves. And Father, how easy it is like people of days gone by to fall into that trap that because of long practice, we begin to think more of ourselves than we should. That somehow we have acquired and achieved a merit. That we have loaded up the balance sheet in such a way through our goodness that we are deserving of salvation. But Father, might we always be reminded of, of this sacrifice upon the cross. That through this, that life for us has become available. That through this, our sins are covered, that it might create among us a sense and a spirit of humility, that as grace has been received, it might be freely given, that we would be a people that would be a part of the solution and not a problem, not a part of the problem in this world. 
that as your salvation and your words of hope are held forth, we would do it in a way that is attractive, in a way that brings light to darkness. That we would not be a people who seek to be angry with our mission field, but that as we go out into our field, fields that are wide unto harvest, that the fruit of your spirit might be reflected in our lives and through your church, that they might view us and see us as a loving family. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.